1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You know, there are lots of signs around us that spring is here in all its quiet glory to signal to us that we have made it through the winter, and not just any winter, a pandemic winter. And so now we can slowly take stock of where we are at the start of this new season. It's a time of growth, rebirth, change, and transformation, not just in the greening of the trees and bushes around us and in the blooming of the flowers, but in ourselves, a year into this unprecedented time. How have you transformed over the past year? And how is that shaping the way you're thinking about what this new season ahead might hold for you? I want to spend the rest of the day talking about this with you and with someone who has been in the midst of her own really profound transformations over the last year as a journalist, as a caregiver, and as a daughter. Desiree Cooper is a journalist, author, and activist who we talk to pretty frequently here on the program. One of my favorite guests to have with us, and she joins us now. Desiree, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good to be here. It's great to hear your voice. Um, So uh, let's start with how you're feeling right now. I mean, uh, we just had this segment with Dr. Frank McGeorge talking about the disappointment that I think a lot of us here in Michigan are feeling about the way things are going and mm-hmm. how they don't match with what our expect- expectations were about this spring and summer. Uh, how are you doing? You know what? You just said a key word, and that word is expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've been disabused of so many expectations <laughs> over the past, <laughs> not just the past year, but for me, I've been caregiving nearly full time for almost five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has been a slow letting go of so much of it wasn't supposed to be like blank. Um, there's a, a saying in um, the recovery community that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a different past. Mm. Mm. And I think that if we took, I mean, that applies now. Um, but if we substituted happiness for the word forgiveness, happiness is um, giving up all hope of a different past. Um, I think that that's something that we can hold on to um, as we continue to live very transformative lives at this point. You know, we're grieving so much about all we didn't get to do, didn't get to have, can't do, can't have. And um, those expectations are sort of uh, keeping us stuck into the days we have left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked to you before about your role as caregiver um, uh, and uh, how that has changed you profoundly over the last uh, over the last five years. Uh, update us on on where you are with that. I know uh, that you lost your dad recently. I saw that on social media mm-hmm. and was really sorry to learn about that. Um, that just and of course opens a whole new chapter, I think, in that in that uh, that journey for you. Mm-hmm. My dad um, was 86. It was not a COVID related death. He he died um, after a, a bad fall, um, and he never quite bounced back. Um, it was 
of course, expected in the long run, but not the way it actually happened. He died in October. Because of COVID, we couldn't get um, a spot with the funeral home uh, very quickly. It took us months to get a death certificate. We could not um, have the uh, homegoing celebration of mm-hmm. his life that we wanted and that he deserved. Um, and so COVID has completely upended our our how we mark our life transitions, not just the deaths, but the, you know, the happy moments, the birthday parties, the Mm -hmm. anniversaries, Mm -hmm. the graduations. Uh, I know someone that said he graduated from college and from his uh, master's program within the last year. And he's like, I've had two um, graduations that I couldn't go to (laughs) and nobody (laughs) else could. Um, so it really messes with our our set ways of grief in our our community, um, how our community is around us during these hard times and during the good times. Um, and so I'm finding myself almost just starting to grieve my dad. Mm. Um, and it's almost been six months. Um, and. It's in very little ways and not in sort of the big, you know, being hit by a bulldozer way. And I know that people who are dealing with many, many COVID losses in their lives are feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. Stephen, I don't know if you have um, elders, many elders in your life, and I don't know if this is a Southern thing or not, but... I used to look at my parents in absolute awe because I would like have to gingerly tell them, well, you know, so-and-so passed away. Mm-hmm. And they would almost say, wow, that's, can you get me the obituary? It was like their, their reactions were almost, I don't know, they weren't profound mm. like I would have expected it. And maybe that comes with aging and losing so many people over time. And I kind of feel like this is where we kind of are now. Like we have to, people always say death is a part of life and we never believe that until it is. But now that it's coming at us so quickly, you do, you cannot afford to um, completely fall apart with each one because they're coming so fast and there there comes an ability to accept quickly and move forward and it's not because you're not grieving or you didn't love but because you can't afford to be knocked over every few weeks so i think that's part of of where we are as society a society i wonder how that's going to affect Things like grieving and demarcations of our transitions um, in life going yeah. forward, how things might take a lot less prominence and the aftermath taking a lot more prominence as we go forward. Yeah. So, so for you, how different is your life? Now that your dad is gone, but your mom is still here and Mm -hmm. you're still the primary caregiver for her. I mean, I think that the the transition there is affected by the continuance of responsibility Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. obligation and and time. I mean, uh, I remember 
when we talked last, you talked about the value of the time that you were getting with your parents, even mm-hmm. even when it was difficult. That uh, that this was this was an important chapter uh, in both of your in all of your lives. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's complicated. I'm not one of those people that. Or let me just put it this way: I am exhausted by people saying, at least you still have your parents or you still have your mother. <laughs> at least you still have more time. You're a good daughter. Your um, your reward is in heaven. I'm 61. I'm almost in heaven. You know, I need my time here <laughs> now. And so I think those platitudes are well-meaning, but they feel very much like platitudes and they feel a little dismissive mm. of of the lockdown that is required because we have no national policy toward aging and and ushering people toward the end of their lives. The national policy is get a girl to do it and it will be a, yeah. a, a, a woman in the family or a low-paid um, worker. So that makes me angry. Um, but on the other hand, I have had the most hands-on instruction on Zen Buddhism I thought I could ever <laughs> imagine. <laughs> and meaning that I seriously sit with sun on my face and go, oh my God, oh my God, there's sun on my face. This is amazing. <laughs> I seriously sit with um, a bowl of soup and go, wow, this is like so delicious. This is the best soup. Um you know, I talk to a friend and I'm thinking how much I appreciate them. You know, so everything is just so heightened, not only the negative, but the little things are not so little. Mm. And so it, when, that's what I mean by a Zen sort of feeling of in the now, what can I do right now? How can I deflect those feelings of dread and foreboding? Um, I I really battled just listening to your previous guests about these vaccines mm-hmm. because um, <laughs> like a big bunch of idiots, my entire family, including our respite caregiver, all went to get the Moderna vaccine at the same day at the same time. Oh, wow. Which meant that on our second vaccine, I was so full of anxiety over what if we all have tough side effects right, right. and how are we going to take care of each other and my mom and um, I started to just really roll into the terrible what ifs around that and I, my son is a type 1 diabetic extremely immunocompromised and so I was wondering what happens if the worst happens in other words, I will articulate the unspeakable. What if I kill my family? Mm. Or what if I don't survive and I'm a linchpin on on so much? And then to top it off, before our second vaccine, which was last Friday, my mother got the Johnson & Johnson last Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was before all this. Uh, you know, has has come out on there. And I'm like, okay, and now I'm going to kill my mother. <laughs> um, and I just could not keep those thoughts at bay. Mm. As it turns out, I'm here talking to you. None of us had any side effects with the second shot 
And my mother has had none, including a sore arm with a Johnson and Johnson. Um, So that's been amazing. But I loved one of your previous guests this morning who said perspective people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you focus on the fear, then that will consume you. But if you focus on what you have left and what you're you're doing affirmatively to make sure that everyone is as safe as possible, you're making your best judgments with the best information. Um, those side effects are few and far between, and the odds are that's just not going to happen. And you're going to be opening the door to more freedom to move about the planet and safety for everyone. So you can't let those those small what ifs really blow up um, and take outsized space in your brain when the facts have you know are, are just so much more palatable. Yeah. Like, why am I choosing the scary option <laughs> to think about when the the reality in front of me is not that, and it's you know, like, hold on to that (laughs) and move forward. But we're all so whipped around in fear and, um, and we are beat down by not just this, but the personal losses, the upheaval in our lives, the political upheaval, you know, you can't help but be a very terrified human being scampering from one crisis to another. And the only way we're going to survive this is to figure out how to calm down yeah. I'm talking with Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist, author, and activist, and full-time caregiver for her mother, someone we talked to quite a bit here on uh, the program about uh, caregiving, about uh, the pandemic and the ways that it's changing all of us, uh, and sort of how we go forward uh, from the, the spot that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us how you've transformed during the pandemic. Uh, how is your life fundamentally different than the one you had before all of this happened? And what are you kind of anticipating uh, as we get closer to the time when maybe the world looks a little more more normal again. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you that way. Uh, Desiree, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you about uh, this latest instance of police killing a young black man for uh, for not complying basically with uh, with with their commands, it's not. <clears throat> this isn't about the law and people breaking laws. This is about people not uh, not doing what whatever it is the police decide they want them to do in the moment and and getting shot to death over it. Um, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do as black people? Uh, in this in this country about the police and about how dangerous policing is to our to our community and our families. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that the um, the incident, and I'm going to be uh, news illiterate about this because I really do protect my psyche from these incidents. Sure. I know they happen, and I know some of the details, but I don't watch. Uh, I'm not watching the trial. Yeah, I'm not. You either. know all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, but this this one that happened in Virginia with 
um, the gentleman who was in uniform. Mm -hmm. And I did watch that, namely because it did not end in a death. Right. Um, But when you watch that blow by blow, how can you not see the absolute fear that he had in abiding the law. I mean, mm-hmm. so many people say, why don't they just comply? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and well, comply with what? It's all, it's so confusing. It's very confusing and comply or not, you're going to end up dead or right. you could. And, you know, so he's, he's taking all these precautions against the police who are supposed to be protecting society. He's driving to a well-lit spot. He's asking what, you know, what are you asking me for? He's showing his hands. He's not getting out of the car. He says he's afraid to get out of the car right? because, you know, and I think that the videos that have shown the moment of and the aftermath haven't quite as clearly shown the moments leading up to. Mm -hmm. And I think that one really does hammer it home for those who still cannot understand why black people don't just give in and give up immediately. Right. Um, There's nothing we can do. I mean, there is no winning mm -hmm. that situation. It is about Mm -hmm. the police and their reaction to us, uh, Mm -hmm. which we have no control over. Right. So I I don't know what we can do except for not relent. You know, what else can we do? As as long as there's going to be another example, you know, every few weeks, then we have to hold up those examples. You know, we can't become inured to what this is all about. And we can't uh, worry that Americans are sick of it and don't want to talk about it or see it anymore. Um, and we have to sort of sustain the outrage, which is dangerous to our own mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that with each one, there's, there's a movement. I mean, when have we ever seen police cross the thin blue line and, and say, yeah, that cop was out of line and testifying to that in public and no, that wasn't, you know, proper police behavior. Um, so you can't say there hasn't been movement, um, but it it's slow, way overdue, and I think too many people are going to still lose their lives yeah, yeah. before this is fixed. Yeah. Okay, uh, Desiree Cooper, I, I just love the days when you are with us on the program and the conversations uh, that we had. Uh, I'm I'm so grateful for you to 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 join us this morning. Thanks very much. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for all you're doing for the community. I, I so much appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. And mm-hmm. and apologize to uh, the callers who were lining up here to be part of the program because I just took too long talking to Desiree all on my own, and so we won't be able to get you into the program. But I promise next time we have her here, we'll open up the phones earlier. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow when we will get an update on vaccines, COVID, and the public health with Dr. Joni Caldoun, who is the chief medical executive here in the state of Michigan. I think she will have some really interesting things to say about this surge, what's causing it, and what we need to do to turn it back the other direction. This is 1019 WDTFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, 
and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.